And Paul, thank you, man. You stepped in. I don't miss Jason at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do miss him. He's fun to have around. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. He is for sure. <laughs> hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. As a wholesale distributor of metalworking products, I have relied on NetSuite by Oracle for my ERP system, and they have just rolled out the best offer we have ever seen. A couple things about NetSuite. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control you need to make better decisions faster. And for the first time in NetSuite's 22 years as the number one cloud financial system, you can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. That's no payment and no interest for six months. And you can take advantage of this special financing offer today. NetSuite is number one because they give your business everything you need in real time, all in one place to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity across every department. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. If you've been sizing NetSuite up to make a switch, then you know this deal is unprecedented. No interest, no payments. Take advantage of this special financing offer at netsuite.com slash chips, C-H-I-P-S, netsuite.com slash chips to get the visibility and control you need to weather any storm, netsuite.com slash chips. All right, guys, I'm sorry. I have to inform you that due to way too many unexcused absences, Jason Zenger has been put on disciplinary suspension from making chips. So he will not be here guest hosting, but have no fear. Paul Van Mater is here to guest host with me. Hey, Nick, how's it going today? Hey, what's up? I am excited for this one. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think we should start with a little music, though. Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you will be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips Seasons. Yeah, Paul, you're the guest host. You've replaced Jason. (laughs) Those are big shoes to fill. I hope I can do justice. No, he's got a good excuse with just moving and having his life all turned upside down. So I'm out here in Seattle. I've been promising you for, I feel like, years that I'm going to come visit you guys. And Mm -hmm. here we are. So I'm happy to to be here. What have you got on the menu today? Well, In our main line of work, we see a lot of companies that endeavor to do digital transformation and go paperless, and some are extraordinarily successful with it, and others struggle a little bit more. But we're here with some guests today that have done an incredible job with it, really taking that leap of faith and seeing just remarkable results. So I think there's some lessons for the metalworking nation to to learn from them. And when you say your line of work, I know that's kind of hard to define because you're not just an ERP company. You really assist with uh, transformation. And what do you even call... You don't use the ERP acronym for what you do. What do you call it again? We do somewhat because we kind of have to. That's what everyone searches for on the internet. Sure. (laughs) But (laughs) got to use the keyword. We coined the term digital manufacturing ecosystem. 
or DME, which I've actually seen a few other people pick up as well. But I mean, ProShop is certainly an ERP, but it also has a really strong component of MES, which is manufacturing execution, sort of shop floor controls, shop floor management, and then QMS, the quality management systems from the actual inspection processes of first articles and in process QC, all the way up to managing the QMS, your AS9100 and corrective actions and all of those types of things too. So yeah, when you're working with customers, you have a different level of empathy. We've covered it on, I don't know, two, three, four different episodes because you're a former shop owner and you've ran a shop yourself and you've been in this business. And that's really how you designed your software is to support the transformation from a shop that's doing okay and surviving to a shop that's completely thriving and growing and excited to get to the guest today and kind of like tell that story. And you also have something else on the menu for the episode today. We've got all of our new segments and you've got one picked out that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So this comes from my own podcast, Machine Shop Mastery. I'm on 33 or 34 episodes now, so way less than you guys. But When I first envisioned the podcast, I thought it would be more technical in nature, like get into machines and all sorts of metrics, things like that. But what has turned out to be one of the main themes that many of the, uh, if not all the guests that I've had have talked about is the importance of their mission statements and core values and things like that. So it's gotten a little more touchy-feely, quite honestly. But every single one of them, I don't know if there's causality or just correlation. I think there's some causality, probably. They have really been thoughtful about creating and publishing core values and mission statements that their teams can rally behind and they make decisions based on. And it's led to great success. So I think having those, if your shop doesn't have core values, doesn't have a mission statement, feeling like they're not actually that important, I can assure you they're really important and they can help align the company, align the employees, build that culture, make sure you are hiring and firing based on those. That's super important. I think it's an important thing to do for We've talked about core values on, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes, and we're at 371 now. Can you believe it? This is the 371st episode. It's insane. And you didn't think you'd talk about it as much as you actually do, kind of to your point. You thought you'd talk more about like when to invest in machines or what to do with your workforce or more like manufacturing talk. Sure. But you realize over time, like you end up talking about what the emotional things, the values that drive a business forward. We at our company actually published it and we created this cool like graphic that you see all over the it's like logoed our mission statement and our core values and you see it all over the company and another thing that we do is like i don't know if you follow college football at all but sometimes people get like a sack or a touchdown or whatever and they get like the sticker on their helmet okay you ever seen that yes yes and so like we have these little magnets that we hand out like when someone did a great job exhibiting a core value But there's like publishing it and, hey, I think we need a mission statement or I think we need values. And there's like publishing it and then kind of hiding it. And then there's a total difference between actually using it in conversation. You know, you're talking about how to handle a touchy subject or something where it's like, hey, what do we do here? You start to hear like those words come out for us, like unyielding integrity is one of them. Like we have to do it this way, even though it might be easier to do it that way or yeah, absolutely. We're not really pursuing excellence if we kind of like mail it in on this thing. So you start to hear people use them and it really does kind of change the culture. Like you said, hiring and firing changes absolutely, with it. Absolutely, for sure. And then the other point that you made, we're talking lessons for manufacturing leaders right now. You get this stereotype as a podcast host of like, we're teaching the audience. Like it's our job oh, to no. teach our audience. No, definitely. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's totally the opposite. That's my lesson too, is like, after this many episodes that we've done, it's really, we're learning from our guests and our guest hosts and the community that we're serving more than I think we're teaching them. So, well, speaking of guests, you've got a couple folks that you should introduce here. 
Yeah, so today we are actually recording in Woodenville, Washington, just outside of Seattle at JJR Fabrication, and we have Kevin Richards and Lynn DeBose with us. So Kevin is one of the co-founders with his brother, Brian, and so yeah, I'm going to introduce you guys. Well, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Kevin, and then Lynn, what's your story here? What's your role at JJR, and how did you get involved? So I started here as a machinist, and I worked as a machinist for, well, I did that for about 10 years, I'd say, and then COVID hit, and I was unfortunately furloughed, and I really wanted to come back to work, so I contacted Kevin I would say, what, three months in? And, you know, work was still slow here. And I thought, what can I do? How can I help the company? So I asked Kevin if I could come upstairs. And my role upstairs has just sort of evolved over time. I help a lot with the planning of the jobs. So like scheduling? Yeah, so it's scheduling. It's a little bit of everything, to be honest. Yeah. You guys were talking about hiring and those kinds of things. And one thing that I've always tried to maintain here is that I'm not really huge on job titles. I'm really big on skill sets because they all overlap. And one of the most important things is to have good coverage on every operation that needs to happen at a company. And so when Lynn started here, she was a machinist. That was her job description and her job title. But she had a lot of ethereal skills that we could use elsewhere. And when COVID hit, we didn't have machining work for her. And I had been tossed around the idea of potentially using her in other ways. Then when she approached me about it, it just clicked. And so she's essentially started as a quote unquote administrative assistant, which was just help me with all the stuff I'm not good at. And she still does that every day. But we've tried to define the role and target it more using her strongest skills. So she helps with all of our implementation of ProShop. And there's a lot of R&D. You can use that system a lot of different ways. And she's become our ProShop guru. She's the one who, if we come up with an idea, she'll beta test it behind the scenes, make sure it's what we want. And then we roll it out. She's an educator and a builder. And just like ProShop, she has machining experience. So all the other things she does, it benefits us in that way too. So that's awesome. I like that. Focus on skill sets and like what people can contribute more than hey, you're in this title and you have to do exactly this thing. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking about someone on my team named Crystal, and she was like administrative assistant for some time. She was a graphic designer. She now leads the whole marketing group. But really, it sounds a lot like you, Lynn, because what she does the best is we have like some management system where we're using some project software called Trello, and she's got that all organized. So when we use like tiered management in our company, it all flows together. It all works. She really thinks about like how everything should be connected. And when you said like beta testing and making sure it's proven out before you implement it, it's like, I'm just thinking, oh, you're just like Crystal. And so it's just really cool because we brought Crystal in to be a graphic designer. She does almost none of that anymore. As you grow with people and you understand people's values and what they can contribute, then you just like find your own role. You kind of create your own role. And sometimes the most effective people don't even know what title to put on themselves because they're just like, They've just found their way into some role that's hard to define. So interesting. So Paul, like tell the story about how you first got in, in contact yeah. with these guys. Like how did it all start? They were a customer and I got to know Brian a little bit better. Actually, when COVID hit, I remember how many folks were, did you have pre-COVID? We were 22 people yeah. pre-COVID. Yeah. When did this business start? Sorry. We started in 2012, very small. My brother and I in his garage. And then we brought on, slowly brought people on, I think about 2000. 
17, we really started taking off and we got up to about 25 people. I think when COVID hit, we were 22 people and then we went down to six people and, and yeah. somewhere in there, you started to talk with Brian quite a bit. Gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. he called us up and said, Hey, I can't afford my 22 person subscription. You know, we're bleeding money here. We worked with them to adjust it to what they needed, investing in the longer term relationship. And then post COVID started to grow again. And I came, I think for the first time physically here to do a video with them last fall. And I was just shocked by what you guys had done with the physical layout, the labeling of your work cells, and the fact that your employee meeting area had our mission statement printed out on the wall, along with the Paul Akers two second lean principles right there. And just the impact, sort of how fully you had embraced after some stumbles as well. And I'd love to have you share because I think it's really common for companies going through some kind of big initiative, especially the term digital transformation, which is overused these days for sure. But it's a big change. It's a scary change. It's complex. And I'd love to yeah, have you share a little bit about what yeah. happened in the beginning. It was probably about three and a half, four years ago that we made a concerted effort to change the company and change its trajectory, not just react to what was coming to us, but start driving our future and say, this is what we want to do. And as important of that, this is how we want to do it. So right in the midst of COVID, you've made that. It was just before, and we really? had good inertia with the company and things were happening. And we said, we're ready to go. And we were up on plane and now let's accelerate type thing. And that's when we adapted the Paul Akers two-second lean. And that's when we really started embracing ProShop. We had enough manpower to really invest in that and exercise it. And those two things in conjunction, you're the digital half of it. The Paul Akers stuff is the physical. But when you really realize how those all connect, it's kind of all the same. And when we first started using ProShop, we're a small company and we're just trying to make parts. And like I said, we we're kind of surviving, but survival is not success. We want to excel. And we had used, what's it called now? Job boss before. And I guess that's when we decided to take a leap of faith. We wanted to change how we did things. And so we spent $55,000 on new software that was going to change our world. It didn't do anything for us. We realized it didn't mesh. As we rolled it out and got it all done, we were so excited. It was difficult. Every day seemed harder. Every day seemed clunky because we were trying to drive this big, huge thing and it, it wasn't working. And by chance, we found ProShop. We literally saw one of your videos or something. And Brian and I got together and decided one night by next morning, we're not using Job Boss anymore. We're going to use ProShop. And so we cut our losses. It was a big decision for us. We had invested $55,000, which is a lot of money. And we just cut that and said, there's no reason. I've told Paul before, we decided we didn't want to drive a Pinto when we could drive a Ferrari. And it would be foolish for us to continue driving that car when we knew that was out, when we knew Pro Shop was out there. And that's kind of what we've done across our entire company. We just said, we're going to change the, everything about this, the way we operate, the kind of people we'll have in our building, the way the place looks, the way it feels. And it was a major leap of faith for us. And it's an initial investment. But when you start reaping the rewards of that, the acceleration has been faster than any of us would have ever imagined. So you, Kevin, and your co-founder, Brian, saw some, you were presented with ProShop somehow, like a video or mm -hmm. something like that. And then it was that quick. Like, it was just like, it was hey, quick. I like I, what I I'm think seeing. you had a seven minute edit or something, but it's funny. We were talking about hiring earlier and I just sketched down a note that when you're trying to hire, you want to hire someone with experience. And when we hired ProShop, essentially, they are an ERP software with machining experience. 
And it shows because it addresses everything. It is your QMS. It's your manufacturing plan. It drives everything. And it's so well correlated with everything else we were trying to do culturally at the company that it just all clicked. And I tell people all the time now, it's really hard for me to imagine what the company will be like a year from now or two years from now or five years from now because it's growing and evolving so much every single day. And compare that mindset to having 22 employees and then getting all the way down to six. Mm -hmm. And now we're 31 as of Monday. Yeah. So, wow. Talk about a little bit of a roller coaster there. But we were all on the same ride with COVID. I feel like it affected us all in different ways. So, Lynn, when this whole, hey, we're going to cut our losses with the other system and we're going to move to this new one and take this leap of faith, were you part of that process at all? Or were you still in the shop kind of transitioning from a machinist up into the role you have now? I was still in the shop at that time, but we were just in our implementation phase of ProShop when COVID hit. So we we're still going through all of that online training. And unfortunately, when COVID hit, a lot of the people who was in that training is no longer here. So we had to start all over again. And it was at that point that I came upstairs. Like I said earlier, I was looking for how can I help the company? We weren't really using ProShop to its fullest at all. And I I was messing around with it. I personally wasn't part of that initial training. So it was brand new to me. But here it was right in front of me. So I was looking at it. I kept opening it, reading the help pages, which is very, very thorough. And I just immediately saw the benefit. And so I started kind of cleaning up all the bad data in the system. It took a long time. I worked with the help desk a lot. They were able to point me in the right direction to sort of start from the beginning. And then once we got some of that old data cleared out of the system and we were ready to roll it out, and what was that, two years ago? It was very, very scary for us, too. We had a very cohesive, well, comparatively speaking, not really, but we had an all-encompassing spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet that did everything for the company at the time. And it was really scary to think about ditching that. And it was Lynn because she was most familiar with the system saying, we're ready, we're ready, we're ready, we can do that. And I was really nervous. And But she finally convinced me one day and then convinced Brian. I think it was, I looked the other day, it was July 21st, 2021, that we turned off our spreadsheet and we were full live in ProShop. Not using it to its fullest extent, but very quickly after that, we started seeing emails. I didn't even open the job tracker today. I didn't, our job tracker was that spreadsheet. And we realized how quickly it had replaced what we were already doing even though we were using it at 20% of its actual capacity. So is this like some sort of cloud-based spreadsheet that everyone was working in? Yeah, it was a Sheets document. It was an Excel document that, believe it or not, for years, only one person could be editing at a time. So if you moved to part forward, everyone had to shut it down to update that. And then it was so cool when we got it into a Sheets document that multiple people could be working at a time. And now you think that was two years ago compared to what we're doing now. It's just (laughs) ridiculous. We talk about this leap of faith and... It seems like Lynn was the one who was like, all right, it's time to take this leap. She was and the I one. get it. Like when your whole world revolves around this sheet, it's so hard to like, do I have to take a leap or can I take like a few steps? Yeah. Right. yeah. I think the advantage for me was because I was a machinist prior, I wasn't using that spreadsheet. And so to me, I didn't care about it. <laughs> I wanted to jump right into an actual system that everybody in the shop could use, read, understand. So yeah, it was easy. I think it was a lot easier for me. <laughs> I remember everybody was saying, no, no, we'll give it a couple of weeks and then we'll slowly phase it out. And I said, no, now. Yeah, I remember that. And we utilized one of our daily meetings to show the group what it was. And I think we said one week from now, we're cutting off. And so everyone had to learn to time track, learn to clock in and out, learn to time track and a couple other basic things. And that was about it. That was enough to go live and replace what we had built over the previous 10 years, nine years maybe, 
but it got us rolling and that was it. And we've had a couple other leaps of faith since, and we were really nervous to, we thought that the scheduling module in ProShop was rather daunting. A lot of things drove it and such. And so getting all those things, it just seemed like a lot. And remember we thought, well, it'd take a few months to get the scheduling module working once we use it. It just started working within days and that's what we use now. And so again, we were healing ourselves a little bit instead of just running with it and go. And whatever shortcomings or dead ends you find, oh, we don't have this data in the system yet, so it's not going to produce the results. That problem is smaller than the ones that it solves. So it's a net positive. And numerous times we've had those things here. And it seems like sometimes the biggest benefits you reap come from the biggest risks you take. And as long as you're calculated risks, it's usually a net positive. So. Man, that's the quote. Like when we post this episode on LinkedIn, whatever you just said, the biggest benefits you reap come from the biggest risks you take as long as they're calculated, of course. I like that. I'd love to bring the conversation back to some of the lean and the physical things that you guys have done. There's obviously people can't see the shop, but out in the shop, there are lots of workstations with big TVs and like a pole sticking out with a number on it. So I see 1500 out there and 2000. And can you describe what those mean and how yeah. you use those? Yeah. So when we finally got ProShop rolled out and implemented, we realized how efficient it was to follow. The pre-production checklist is essentially establishing a roadmap to success for each part. And then when you go into production, you have very clear routing on your work order. You do this and then you do this and then you do this. And if you do that, if you follow that, it's a good plan. You will succeed. It will be a good part. And very quickly, I started realizing that our digital infrastructure was going to way outpace what our physical infrastructure could produce. So I started thinking about, I remember setting a target. This is what we want to deliver every week because it's what I thought the system would accommodate. So we started in every single department figuring out what we need to do. And it kind of became clear in my mind that let's just mimic on the shop floor what we've done with our digital interface, our using ProShop. So ProShop, the things about it is it's very intuitive. It's very straightforward. Anyone can understand it in a matter of days because it's very simple. And so when we applied those concepts to the shop, we came up with what you have out there now. And those poles with the op signs, those correlate with each operation on the router. I wanted them to be really tall so you can see them from anywhere in the shop. Like if you're at the grocery store and you're looking for mayonnaise, you can see from really far away, that's where the mayonnaise is. So I wanted to start big and then get smaller and as detailed and specific in the shop as possible. So we have the tower with the op sign, and then each workstation has a Kaizen work center, and then a staging rack, which directly mimics your queued work for each work center. So it became very straightforward that if someone has a neat, clean environment to do their work in and a digital interface that tells them this is what you're going to work on, it's all sorted by must be back on dates so they know what to work on next in a physical location for all of those parts. They literally look at the digital queue on their TV. This is what I need to work on next. They find it on that rack. They do the work here. When they queue those parts forward, they look around the shop, find the next tower with that op sign on it and go drop the parts there. And that's how So is how the rack flows. like a kit, like everything kitted for the job? It depends on what it is. We have, I think there's 28, maybe 26 different work centers. Each one's tailored to what happens at that spot. So the tools are specific to that place. The workspaces fit to that space and the racks are all the same. I wanted them all the same, all the same height, so that if we have long parts or this and that, we know they'll fit in every location. And so it depends. We have staging racks and then we have work centers and then we have holding racks. So if something's kidding, if something's going to be coming back from assembly, we have a specific spot for that where here's where the details are. And as the last bomb item shows up and turns green on the and pro shop, it's ready to build and you can grab all those components and build them right there and move them. So our shops become about as intuitive as pro shop 
and it works really good. On someone's sec- my goal is to have someone on their second or third day here be able to look at a work order and without asking anybody, know where they perform that work and where it goes to next. Okay, so growing up, I worked in our shop and we had this huge sign on the wall that said no hunting and it was like in camouflage. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Like you don't ever have to hunt for anything. It's all ready to go. Everything you need for the job is on that. One right? of the basic lean principles that we learned via Paul Akers is wasted human potential and the amount of time and energy people would spend wondering what to do next. There's 15 parts here to work on. Which one should I work on? ProShop sorts that for you. So all we had to do is match that. Here's where all of it fits. And if our volume was going to go up, we needed three times the physical storage for everything. So that's what we did. We started trying to pretty much build a physical capacity of three times what we were doing before. So we got three times as many tables, three times as many racks, and it's all working. So Paul Akers, you keep bringing up this Paul Akers guy. Did, did so, this Paul introduce you to that Paul? Or no, that so ironically... Paul Akers, he's an author, but he's also a business owner. He owns a company called FastCap, and it's right in Bellingham also. No way. Yeah. There's something in the water in something Bellingham. Something up in, in Washington. <laughs> a lot of lean County. people, yeah. huh? So yeah, his company makes all sorts of cool tools for woodworking and other things, but he wrote this book called Two Second Lean. And the concept, and I've seen many companies put this into practice, that every day you should be trying to improve the process of what you do by two seconds right? Or some small incremental amount. And they do that by working on lean improvement activities every day. So at FastCap, and he gives tours and such, they'll spend like the first 30 minutes of every day before they actually start making parts or putting things together, doing lean improvement activities, Kaizen activities right at their workstations to try to remove a movement of a hand or a couple of steps you need to take or just getting the waste out of the process, just removing the waste. You know, one thing you just said, my brother, he's like a lean guy. So you're just reminding me of him constantly, but you said the wasted human potential. There's all the, what is it? The seven forms of waste that they talk about. And that's the one I think that like, there's the most opportunity for improvement. I agree. We get into automation in my business a little bit where you're trying to like basically extend the lights out time of a machine. And when you don't have an employee opening and closing a door and pushing cycle start every four minutes, they're not like kind of enslaved to that door. And they can think about, hey, now I'm running two, three, four machines at once. Or like, Lynn, you were a machinist. And then you started thinking about like, hey, I can make this whole place run better. I can be the one who knows the system that runs this place better than anybody else and really like be a champion for all the other employees to get everybody using it. But if you had to open and close a door every 45 seconds and stay focused on that, maybe that capacity wouldn't have been there for you to really grow into something bigger. So I think that's the form of waste that we ought to, as manufacturing leaders, be thinking about the most. It's like, are we getting the most out of all of our people? So yeah, kudos to you. I say it a lot that a machine has never made a good decision or a bad decision. And the machine has never inspired other people Mm -hmm. or other machines, but people do. And so every second of a person's time, if they're a good person that you can free up to change the company is tenfold more valuable than anything else you can do. Because instead of having Lynn try and fix a leaky machine or try and do these different things, she's using all of her mental capacity to change the company, whether it's figuring out the next thing in pro shop or all the other 15 things we're working on that we have mentioned today. That time is so much more valuable than walking around with a spreadsheet, updating the status on every part, then going to your desk and updating that. I used to spend half my time printing a giant spreadsheet, walking around our 17,000 square foot facility, identifying the status of every part, going and updating the spreadsheet every single day. And I don't do any of that anymore. 
I spend 100% of my time looking at what we need to be doing next. How can we do this a little bit better every single day? Kind of the global things. And then each person does those things every day here. And yeah. it's just accelerated our progress. That's awesome. You mentioned the sort of 10x return on investing. And you shared before we hit record the calculation of how much time or how much dollars you would invest by having your employees all come to this morning meeting. Can yep. you share that a little bit? Yeah. So we do our morning meeting every single day. Every single week, this is based off Paul Aker system. Everyone is encouraged here to carry a lean list, which is in your phone or however you choose while you're working. Any single little thing that bothers you or is inefficient, write it down. And then every day when you get here, you clock in and sip your coffee and make some sort of an improvement to yourself, to your work area, to a common area, all of those things. If you Efficiency is the absence of waste. And so naturally becoming more efficient is enjoyable. It makes your day easier. So we spend the first portion of our day doing that. And then at 930 we, every day we meet. It's an entire company, all hands meeting every day. And based on the lost manufacturing time, if you took our shop rate, multiplied it by how many minutes and all of that, that we spend talking about these things instead of making parts, we calculate, I think it was $137,000 or $167,000 a year. And that seems huge for a small company. We're 30 people. But when you realize what it's done for us, it's incalculable. Last week was the 31st week of the year. We already hit our annual total from last year. Oh, and that's literally from this process we've been working on for about three years, but every day it breaks loose a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. It's like that story of you're trying to run away from the bear and you've got one other guy, you know, the one guy puts his shoes on. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? There's a bear coming. He's like, I just got to outrun you. Yeah. You know, exactly. so it's like, take the time to put your shoes on or there's the other one about sharpening the ax. Yep. The yep. old guy and the young guy and the one guy just sharpens his ax for the first time while the other guy's hacking away. Yeah. He's like, look, I'm going to take the time to make sure we're doing this right. Yeah, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, Paul, you've gotten your notes here. Don't rush to get jobs on the floor. And I didn't know what you meant there at mm -hmm. first, but... Well, I think that was when we were talking a few months ago and shooting that video. One of the things that you guys really embrace is the concept of doing more careful, thoughtful planning, which in some ways seems like it will just add additional time and cost to the job. But I know a lot of shops, they get the job, they print the print, print out a job traveler, put it in a folder and just stick it in a queue like the same day, trying to get it out to the shop as quick as they can. But all the shops that we've seen the most successful in reducing waste and getting higher throughput and having fewer problems are doing a more thoughtful planning process. So you think if I get this to the floor as fast as possible, then... It's like intuitively, that's like, let's get it out there. They can get started right on, away on it. But that invariably leads to mistakes and things you've forgotten and firefighting and backtracking and scrap and all sorts of just wastes. And I think you guys have really embraced the concept of more thorough planning, but efficiently, then that reduces the, the waste yeah, I was, downstream. I was explaining this to someone the other day and I was, we were talking about pre-production and I, I use the example of if you're going to bake something, you can take all the ingredients and throw it in the oven and what's going to come out is going to be junk. But if you follow a recipe, you a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a good plan ahead of time, you can actually make something that people want to eat. And how that relates to what you do and what you've given to us is the pre-production checklist. And Lynn, you've been most integral in that entire process of I mentioned earlier, we wanted to strip everything down as simple as we could. It'll be efficient that way. Take all the stuff out that we don't need, right? And we realized pretty quickly, and we've evolved through it many times now, that a good plan is much, it will cut everything loose and it'll go much more smooth 
later with a little bit of investment up front. So we still get work orders floor within 48 hours now. It used to be four or five days, but people have a roadmap to success and you've spent more time on our pre-production checklist than anybody. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've rewritten it. (laughs) All the (laughs) meetings we've had saying, oh, we got to add this or take this out. It didn't just happen overnight. It definitely evolved over time and it will continue to evolve. I remember in the beginning, we thought about not using it at all because it's, it's not a requirement. You talk about work the checklist? Order. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And our argument there was, well, we never had one before. So why do we need one now? Right. But it just kind of felt like getting in a car and not putting your seatbelt on. Yeah, you might reach your destination without needing your seatbelt. But is it really worth the risk? Sure. Probably not. Not time after time. So We stripped it down to just the bare bones questions. And I think as your PP checklist evolved, it was added to when you've ran into a mistake, right? And so you don't want to make that mistake again. So you put it in the PP checklist. That's the pre-production checklist. And yeah, it just kind of grows from there. I'm sure it will still continue to grow. Things will get added. Things will get reworded. So these ideas like that you have your daily meetings where everyone's supposed to bring ideas for improvement. How often do those ideas change the pre-production checklist then? Do they get implemented into that tool or? It's the same philosophy, but kind of different venues, I would say. Our pre-production checklist and you're right, the philosophy I think ProShop had was if you get fooled or you get bit or you get burned, why? And it's because you didn't think of something. Sure. Well, the pre-production checklist that they provide has thought of everything, all the mistakes you guys ever made when you were a manufacturer. Sure it's did. in there. And we thought, man, that looks like a lot. That looks like a lot to do. How long is it going to take for all six people to touch that before it gets to the floor? What you realize is it's a checklist. It's something for your planner to go on every job. Just look at that, address it, think about it. It only takes a few seconds sometimes. Right. It takes a lot more time if you didn't think about it. Yeah. Or if there needs to be tooling involved, I'm going to add a routing line to Q engineering so that tool's ready when we need to build the part. So you can rush something to the floor and get the work order to the floor and super quick later that afternoon. And when the part's ready to go on the machine, you don't have the tools for it or you don't have the special requirement needed. So it'll sit for four days. You lost all of that. So with a plan that just makes you address everything ahead of time, a roadmap for success for the part, when they get in the car to drive, they know where to go and it works. And ours started four lines and seven lines and eight lines. And I don't know what it is now, but I think about four people are involved in it. It takes about 48 hours to get a job to the floor. But by the time a part's ready to go on a machine, we have tools, we have material, we have any specialty requirements for the job. We have an inspection plan all ahead of time instead of, oh, shoot, we need that right now. We need that right now. And it stops here and it stops here and it stops here. And all that tack time is gone. just flows right through. It works. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. We have a metric that my brother created called complete and accurate. So we think of everyone we pass our work onto as a customer, not just the person who buys it at the external customer, but the internal customer. If you're a machinist and you're receiving the routing and there's a bunch of question marks and what the heck do I do with this? Or yeah, like, or that cart didn't have the material on it. That wasn't complete and accurate. So we try to actually use that as a metric to figure out how often did you pass work on to the next person, your customer, complete and accurate. And so it kind of reminds me of like something similar to this checklist. This checklist is a way to have a higher complete and accurate metric. Right. Otherwise, the guy behind you is just finishing your job. Sure. And so if each person has a defined deliverable to the next person with some sort of quality standard attached to it, they know exactly what's going on there and they pick it up and do their part. And the parts queue through operation, 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 and they're done and it works. Yeah. At ProCNC, we took the same concept of sort of complete and accurate. And if someone did something that wasn't, the downstream person would actually issue 
what we called a documentation NCR. So we'd use the QMS and issue an NCR, not for the parts, but for the documentation, the process was not followed upstream. Like an andon or something similar to that? Like an andon light? Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Kind of. And then we could analyze those each month and say, we need to improve the process. So we reduce the amount of times that someone gets delivered something that's not ready, complete for them. The job hits the machine without the inspection plan. Well, why is that not happening? You have to continuously improve your continuous improvement. Absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) For sure. We always say that. As long as we're working on new problems, we're doing fine. Just don't work on the same problems you were working on before because it means you didn't solve the problem. Just get fooled by something new and put something in place to fix that. So, Well, I had written down sort of four lessons for a successful digital transformation that we've touched on many of them, but as we kind of think about wrapping up the episode here, first one is be open to change. Don't fight it. I think one of the lessons you guys learned was when you were trying to pare down that checklist, this is too much. We know better. But once you really embraced and work, and that was my second one is challenge preconceived notions. Like, why are we doing it this way? And being sort of humble and open to changing it. That's, I think, when unlocks really start to happen and improvements can flow. Getting alignment with your team would be the third one. I know you talked about involving the department leads or team leads as you made decisions, and that's been hugely important to get buy-in because it sure seems like you guys have 100% buy-in by everybody. And then having a champion, too, is a big way to get oh, the alignment, sure. like with Lynn. Absolutely. Because you were actually on the floor as a machinist. And so you're like, hey, here's how it's going to make our lives easier. This isn't just some like top down thing. You get you get it going top down, middle out, bottom up, whatever you want to call it. And you're like, yeah, this is working. Well, we also see the same thing with lean. Lots of companies try lean, but they don't get alignment with the whole company and it fails and they do it for a few weeks or a few months and then it kind of peters out. But clearly you guys are good at getting alignment with your team, regardless of what the initiative is. So That's an important one. And then the last one, I think, is just I learned from you guys aligning the digital and the physical aspects so that it's really intuitive. A lot of transformation projects come down to they can be complex if they're not done right and people get confused and they're reluctant to use them. And I think better than almost anyone I've seen, the way you've made it so visibly in alignment with the digital flow uh, is impressive and it's it's a lesson to take away. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jason, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? You're not making chips <laughs> yeah, and you're right. not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer. Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from ProShop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, but ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process. Yeah, so it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the Lean Setup Guide. Bam. Hey, if you, the audience, if you got anything out of this episode, if you thought it was great, can you help us by rating it on whatever you're listening to? If it's Spotify or Apple iTunes or whatever it is, give us a rating. If you could give us a review as well, as long as it's a good one. And if you could refer it to somebody, if this, like so many times when I listen to a podcast, I'm thinking like, oh, someone needs to hear this. And so if you have somebody who needs to hear it, or if your company is going through a transformation and maybe a new ERP system, it doesn't have to be ProShop. It could be any system that you're trying to implement. Or lean. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, or lean. Yeah, exactly. Like just send it to somebody. Send a link to this episode because that's really, for us, the most valuable thing. As the host of the show, it's like when we're really talking about missions and values, our mission is to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. So I think we did that. I want to thank Lynn, Kevin. Appreciate you guys. I think we did that today. If you think we did that, please, please share it. And Paul, 
Thank you, man. You stepped in. I don't miss Jason at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do miss him. He's fun to have around. Yeah, no, he is. He is for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me. Thanks for flying out here to Washington. Yeah, of course, man. It's great to have you out here. We had work to do out here anyway, you know, for my sure. other job. And it is encouraging to hear, especially up in this area, there's a lot of aerospace work and I'm hearing that it's really starting to rebound. So mm-hmm. that's awesome because right now, like machine tool sales, my products go on machine tools. And so machine tool sales are like way down. So we're just like, hey, what industries are coming back? And thank God this one seems to be really bouncing back. So yeah. And you guys are a testament to that. I think it's two things. Like the work is coming back. We're past this COVID stuff. And you guys are just kicking butt. Here oh, I appreciate JJR, it. Thank so. you. And so if people want to learn more about JJR, how would they go about? What's your website? You can go to our website. You can just Google JJR Fabrication and you'll find it. It's old and outdated but it'll get you to us. Mm-hmm. And I'm always happy and excited to show people our facility. If you ever want to tour our shop, if you're interested in working here or having us do work for you, I love showing people what we do because I'm really proud of it and we're not done, but we're doing well. Yeah, Awesome. So we end the show with the same kind of cliche term that machinists use. And it is, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam.